Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trepanion, medical insurance for pets. Breeders, this one's for you. Whether you're a seasoned breeder or planning for your very first litter, Trupanion is here for you. Let Trupanion support all your breeding needs through their additional breeding rider, which covers things like emergency C-sections. Trupanion also offers an exclusive breeder support program just for breeders that lets you provide your litters with a special trial of their insurance. You can take comfort knowing that your litters are getting the best care possible in their new homes. Signing up couldn't be easier. Just click the Trupanion link on my partner page. And don't forget to mention, Pure Dog Talk sent you. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves. And I am being joined again today by one of my most favorite frequent contributors. I have really enjoyed our conversations with Amanda Kelly of Fuegle Toy Manchester Terriers in Canada. And here in November, we're having sort of stud dog month. And so I proposed to Amanda that we have a conversation about stud dog shopping. And it sort of, it sort of descended into, no, we're not shopping in the Sears catalog, but it's kind of like that. And so I think that this conversation is really important in a lot of levels. And we're going to be talking about a lot of things with stud dogs this month. But Amanda and I are going to talk about how do you go shopping for a stud dog? This is not a pair of shoes. There's a lot of research that goes into this. So we're going to do the who, what, when, where, why, and how of stud dog shopping. So welcome, Amanda. Thanks. It's great to be back. Excellent. So. Many of us find ourselves in a situation where we don't either A, have an in-house stud dog, or B, it is not the right dog for the bitch that we're looking to breed. And so then we go out into the world seeking a dog that will complement what we have to work with. So how do we do that? Oh, my heavens. Well, (laughs) that is a big, big, big question, Laura. It is. It's one of those things I think that when you've been breeding for a long time, you don't really stop and think about what that process is. You just right. kind of that's why we're it. having it. <laughs> exactly. We're talking about it because you and I do it by rote. You know, I gotta breed this to that and I can't use this other thing because of that and blah, blah, blah. But think back to when you were first planning that first breeding and the process that you went through. I mean, I still have my books that I listed out all the things that my bitch had and all the things I wanted to improve on and all the pedigree pieces I wanted to either pull in or avoid or what have you. And the long lists and pictures and all the stuff that I went through on that. That process is what got me thinking about this. Well, and I think that there's a couple of foundational pieces that go into choosing a stud dog. And they may not seem like they're directly related, but they really are so important. And I think the first step is to look at your own bitch and your own breeding program and what you want to accomplish with a given breed-in. 
So whenever I teach handling and try to break things down into pieces, Mm -hmm. one of the things that I really kind of keep coming back to is that you can't try to do everything all at once. Right. Breeding dogs or showing dogs or learning how to speak French or, (laughs) you know, learning to cook, which is something I personally have never successfully mastered. It's iterative. It's an iterative process. So you have to kind of think about what your priorities are in a breeding, I think. Mm -hmm. And so before you start looking at any stud dogs or what anybody else has or what might be available or what might be possible, the very first thing to do is to really sit down and look at the bitch that you want to breed. What are her strengths? What are her weaknesses? What are the strengths and weaknesses of the family of dogs that she comes from? And it's really a research, like this whole process is really about research because you're going to research your stud dog, but you also are going to look really carefully at your family of dogs that you're working within because you can learn so much about what will be or might be produced by looking at what has been produced. So when we start out, you know, you kind of feel like you're at a disadvantage because XYZ breeder has been breeding for 25 years and they know all of these dogs. And that's true. You know, they have seen them and over time collected information. But some of that information really is available to everybody. So look at your bitch and think to yourself, okay, were any of her litter mates bred? Have they been bred? What about dogs that are out of the same mother? Have they been bred? What about this bitch's mother? You know, strong bitches are the cornerstone of any breeding programs. Always. What did the mother produce? What has the sire of my bitch produced? So all of that information is going to fit together like pieces of a puzzle and give you a really clear idea of not only the strengths and weaknesses of your individual bitch, but of perhaps the bloodline and what it's producing. Right. And I think to me, that pedigree piece. So I've got a bitch and let's just say I've lucked into a bitch that's beautifully line bred. Maybe I have a Fwaggle Manchester Terrier and she's beautifully line bred and I want to either pull in a piece further back or maybe it's time this is going to be a little bit of an outcross and I'm going to look for a line bred stud dog that's prepotent for the characteristics I'm hoping to add to my bitch. Yeah, like the whole outcrossing versus right. line breeding right? and that component of looking at pedigrees. Look, I'll tell you, you can ask 25 breeders and you will get 25 different opinions of the relative merits of any approach to breeding. Fact. And none of them are wrong. Fact. Right. That's right. There's a thousand ways to skin a cat. Yep. So the experience of your breed mentors and particularly folks who are working in the same kind of group of dogs that you are within your breed are really invaluable in that way, which kind of underlines for me, you know, when I think about my priorities as a breeder and I'm planning breedings, I try to take a bigger picture strategic view of what I'm doing and where I'm going. So every once in a while, I'll do a breeding just because I want to do this particular breeding and it doesn't maybe make sense in part of a larger plan. But often, I'm sort of looking at, I have a group of dogs and I'm thinking about, okay, if I do this with this dog and then I do this with this dog, then maybe these will kind of gel together down the line. There's a longer term plan rather than 100% just the breeding that's in front of you. 
Mm-hmm. But also, I like to think about what the priorities are for my breed. And I know I kind of sound like a broken record sometimes when we have these conversations, but coming from a small breed, there's some elements I think of gene pool management that you have to think about. Mm-hmm. Totally. You're planning the breeding that is in front of you, the dogs you want to put together to produce the litter. You're thinking about the priorities of your breeding program. And then there could be an element as well of what is good for my breed. So as a breeder in a small breed, this is something that's top of mind for me quite often Mm -hmm. in that there's some gene pool management pieces that I think are important for me to consider as far as what's the best for my breed's diversity, as an example. Yeah. And there's lots of really interesting tools that are available and provide data points, not necessarily defining features. Mm-hmm. Coefficient of inbreeding calculations on pedigrees can be a helpful indicator of how closely related two dogs are. Mm-hmm. And then you also have even something as simple as kind of these rules of thumb, like in population genetics and management, one of the pieces of advice that is often given is to breed more dogs less often. Yes. We really want to avoid popular sire syndrome, which is so prevalent. In all breeds, in all breeds, not just in your breed. Absolutely. And it can be wonderful from an individual breeding perspective, but then also have some pretty far-reaching consequences for the breed as a whole. So thinking about, you know, maybe looking at dogs that are related to that dog rather than that particular dog as an example. Going back to our idea of scanning through the Sears catalog of dogdom, that is basically your national specialty catalog. (laughs) Oh, my gracious. National specialties are the best. So if you're a shopper, like I'm a shopper, I've been to every national specialty in my breed since 1997, every single one. And every single time, the entire point of it was to see all the boy dogs I could see. Right. I mean, that is how I think it's a giant shopping trip. And maybe this one isn't going to fit. And that one's all wrong for your outfit, you know, whatever, however you want to think about this. But that national specialty catalog and your notes in it from watching those dogs, maybe getting your hands on the dogs. Right. And people listening can't see it, but I have like a set of shelves behind me and Mm -hmm. there's a whole row that's completely filled with nationals catalogs. And if you were to look closely in the margins, you'll see lots of, you know, little notes and stars and interesting things. Mm -hmm. National specialties are a really great place to see a lot of dogs all at once. Yes. And as important as it is to see the dogs, it's also important to see what dogs are producing. Correct. You know, if you go to a show and you see four or five dogs that you really love and you check your catalog and they're all sired by the same dogs, there's no maybe about it. That's the best indicator that you have right. of what the potential is for a dog to produce. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, crew. Check it. Dog events are happening. For exhibitors who are able and willing to attend these events... It feels as if our tribe has been reunited once again. Meanwhile, for folks who are continuing to feel safest staying at home and away from crowds, and for folks who are driving long haul, 
between far-flung events, I gotcha. I've been working hard to bring you all podcast episodes that help you feel connected to our larger community and offer opportunities for education and entertainment, no matter how you have managed through this truly overwhelming year. One of my favorite events this year is the monthly virtual Pure Dog Talk After Dark for patrons of our podcast. Anybody can join this fabulous community of dog enthusiasts by visiting the website and clicking on the Become a Patron link on the homepage. And while you're there zooming around on the site, you might think about checking out our shopping tab too. We've linked dog show vendors from all around the country so you can help support them during this really grueling loss of income suffered due to a lack of events. There's even a swag link that lets you order your Pure Dog Talk t-shirt, sweatshirt, fan case, mask, (laughs) ringside towel, and so much more. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you every day to make sense out of everyday things to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. So check out the links at www.puredogtalk.com. Your support adds up to a huge voice for purebred dogs. I think so many of us have sort of fallen back on social media or some of these things. I'll never forget a conversation I had at a national a few years ago. We were talking about this exact topic and somebody came up to me and asked me, so what did you see that you liked? I was like, well, I like this dog and that dog and the other dog. I said, what about this one dog? It's like, oh, I already knew about that dog. It was all over social media. So I think we have lost a little bit of the impact of our national specialties in some people's minds that I think is unfortunate because what you see at the national is not just the individual dog. As you mentioned, it's his progeny. You also see the dog in the setup. Is the dog a freak? Can't shut up. Mm -hmm. Is the dog, you know, what is the dog trying to bite somebody? I mean, those are the things you don't get to see on social media or in the catalog or even in the magazine that has to be experienced up close and personal. Yeah, and I think too, Lori, you raise a really good point. Social media is a really wonderful tool, mm-hmm. particularly in far-flung populations, to be able to see what's out there. So looking back on long and ever ago when we didn't have that as a tool, right. when you've been around for 10 million years, <laughs> you can remember back before the When dinosaurs of- roamed the earth and Davy Crockett was just That's right. That's us. Got it. That's right. Before the age of yield internet, national specialties really were it. Yeah. And now we do have lots of great places to get information. And I think that that's to our advantage. But you're right. There are things that you really can only see when you see a dog in person. And one of the things that I would caution everyone is to remember that part of being successful in dogs is being able to see beyond the marketing. So, you know, 
look, I've done this for a long time. I know what a good picture of my dog looks like, and I know what a bad picture looks like. Mm -hmm. So which one am I going to share? The dogs that we see on our screen, look, regardless of anything to do with Photoshopping or any of those other things. It's just they're always self-selecting for the most. Just like you don't put up an ugly picture of yourself if you can help it. Right. My first rule of websites and social media is you never post an ugly picture. Right. So bearing that in mind, you have to remember that that's the rule. No one is going to put a picture up there where their dog doesn't look great. And being able to see the dog allows you to really evaluate it in the flash. You also get to see it move. Right. Most of the pictures we see on social media, rarely do you see, you know, moving videos. And again, those are still very curated. So I just would agree with what you have said, which is just like Facebook life of people is a curated presentation of how awesome our lives are. Mm-hmm. The Facebook presentation of stud dogs is a similarly curated collection. I love that curated collection. I think that's a really great way to think about it. And in our who, what, when, where, why, how, the when, I think is something that we need to kind of touch on. You know, your bitch is due in season tomorrow. When are you going to start thinking about who to breed her to? Not today. (laughs) That's a true story. I think we've all kind of been in that position where we found ourselves Mm -hmm. running around like chickens with our heads cut off, Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what we're going to do because plan A fell through and plan B fell through. And And I'm at Z now. (laughs) (laughs) Been there. Totally been there. There's a snowstorm and, you know, exactly. The dog you brought home from the national just to breed to the bitch is sterile, you know, like that. Right, exactly. So we've all found ourselves in that position. And once you've found yourself in that position, you will never want to be there again. You know, people who are around for a longer period of time, I think it's a constant collection of information. Mm -hmm. You're collecting information about possible stud dogs and storing it away in file stud dog in the back of your brain so that you always kind of have an idea of what's out there. And you start thinking about it as far in advance as you possibly can. And there's lots of great reasons for that. Not even just as far as your own peace of mind goes, but there's also things like cost that can be lessened somewhat if you are making plans in advance. So as an example, if you decide that you are going to do a frozen semen breeding, it is much less expensive to have frozen semen sent and you know shipped on a longer turnaround time than it is to try to bring it in because you need to do a breeding next week. You can ship those containers and have them sit in your storage so it's accessible. If you have that ability, is amazing. That's right. And you might be able to arrange to share shipping on a shipment with someone else who's bringing in semen from the same area. You might be able to make arrangements if you're sending your bitch somewhere for her to go with someone who's already traveling to that area, maybe a little bit in advance. There's lots of really great financial and logistical reasons to plan far in advance as well. Absolutely. And I think that the why is sort of self-explanatory. I don't know that we really need to explain that further, but I just think we should say choosing a stud dog, shopping for a stud dog that best complements your bitch is 
and I'm going to put this out here as a statement and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it is a whole lot more than just saying, hey, this dog just got a best in show. Let's breed to it. Oh, gracious. Yes. I kind of hesitate a little bit to like jump right back to you on that one, because I think that's such a kind of a heavy statement that you really need to think about for a second. We breed because we show dogs. And so it can be tempting to fall into the trap of if I want a great show dog, then the answer is to breed to a great show dog. And that's not always the case. You know, there's lots of breeds where there's actually a divide between the dogs that you breed and the dogs that you show. So as an example, if you're breeding Pomeranians, I know from my great friend, Chris Hartz, and her absolutely stunning breeding program of Crescendo Pomeranians, you know, they have brood bitches. Mm -hmm. They have bitches that specifically have specific traits that make them maybe more suited. A lot of the toy breeds, the bitches that they breed are out of standard for the show ring. Not all of them, obviously, but it's not an uncommon practice at all. And then there are dogs like my breed where we have not just show dogs, like there's working dogs and there's field dogs and there's a variety of considerations. And again, speak to me on this, you know, course correct me if I'm off. But my feeling is when I do a breeding and I breed my bitch to X, Y, or Z stud dog, my goal is to make a better wire-haired pointer. And if that best-in-show dog is not going to take me to that goal, then all I've done is breed to a ribbon. Right. You're also, I think, then investing too much in someone else's opinion. Mm-hmm. Your breeding program is about what you like. You know, I have a really great friend who always says, and I think this is so prescient, my dogs and my breeding program are designed to fill my eye with beauty. And what I consider beautiful might be slightly different than what you consider beautiful. And it certainly is going to be a different interpretation than perhaps an all breed judge who is not an expert in my breed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it all kind of circles back, I think, to the beginning when we were talking about how important it is to understand what it is that you want to accomplish with the breeding. And then look around and try to figure out what dog is going to help you get there the best. Yep. And I think, you know, that kind of a plan, that kind of a roadmap, if we're going to go back to our shopping analogy, if you're going to go and hit all the stores, you want to know what you're looking for. And we had a conversation about shopping when we started this, when we were off air and what looks best on your body. Well, what looks best on your bitch's body? Does it need more front? Does it need a head? Does it need smaller ears? What does your bitch need? And what does that family need are all absolutely part of the equation that rarely is as simple, sadly, as which is the most recent best in show winner in your breed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that's a, a great observation. And then we go back to the popular sire syndrome and all of the things that come with that. But I think as new young breeders, one of the most critical aspects of that is selecting the right stud dog for your bitch and, you know, making that plan, making those charts, writing those notes, really thinking it, talking to people on the phone. All right, crew, thank you all for joining us. This has been part one of our episode. Watch this space. Part two will be coming up soon. 
As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.